News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers. The city. I'm Harry Siegel, here with Katie Odin and Chrissy Greer, just trying to keep up on still another jam-packed week in New York. We had the one and only gubernatorial debate. Eric Adams finally appointed uh, Laura Kavanaugh, who's been the acting commissioner of the FDNY since the beginning of this year as the commissioner at the end of October. And it's been 10 years since uh, Hurricane Sandy. There's been lots of looking back, including on this podcast, and lots of looking ahead at all the ways in which New York still does not seem to be prepared for the storms to come. Uh, let's start quickly with uh, with Kavanaugh. Uh, Chrissy, you worked at the FDNY. Uh, what do you think of this? Uh, what's happening over there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Lauren Kavanaugh has been holding down the fort quite admirably for quite some time. Um, I think the question is, you know, what took the mayor so long to appoint someone who's clearly been steering the ship in the right direction? I think that, you know, it also, though, to the mayor's credit, he has consistently said, we've got a lot of talent in this city. I don't necessarily need to look elsewhere. I will just to do my due diligence. But we've got a lot of female talent in this city. And it seems as though he's putting women in positions of power where we just have not seen them before. So now I'm, I'm looking at it in the largest, you know, arguably the most powerful city in the world, we've got a Black female police commissioner and a female uh, fire commissioner. I don't know if any other city can say that. And these are people that, you know, are relatively homegrown. Um, and he didn't go to Boston or Los Angeles or Chicago to, like, to get these folks. I mean, granted, he did go to Long Island to get the police commissioner, but still. <laughs> it's close. Um, it's close enough, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll see on election day how close they are to us. But um, I think that there's a real opportunity, hopefully, to have some larger conversations about diversifying the FDNY in a lot of different ways, you know, pulling from different sectors and getting different types of people from various boroughs to uh, to join. I mean, I have a slightly warped view of firefighters because I grew up in Philadelphia in a particular neighborhood where my neighborhood had Black firefighters, a predominantly Black firehouse which I did not know until I was much older, that that is very odd. Yeah. So my my best friend growing up was the stepdaughter of a firefighter. So all of the family activities were with nothing but pri primarily Black firefighters. So I thought <laughs> Black firefighters were the majority. <laughs> I did not know that there's a very long, complicated history of race and ethnicity and gender, obviously, uh, when it comes to firefighting. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, Kav well, I guess, Commissioner Kavanaugh will do now to really like tap into, you know, recruiting from maybe different high schools and colleges where the FDNY has, has largely ignored and moving in that direction. So Kavanaugh has already brought in supposed to be the most diverting, diverse recruiting class in FDNY history. Chrissy, we talked about this a lot when de Blasio was there and he had some really impressive women in his orbit and as people talked about quietly and then came out over time, mm -hmm. did not treat them very well as a group and was, was a difficult boss. So with Adams, 
right? We do have, uh, he promised he was going to bring in a, uh, a woman, black woman to be police commissioner. And he did. He also has a, a deputy mayor of public safety who is not who that commissioner reports to, but is above them in the chain. Who's a man. Um, is Adams so far, like, is your sense that he's actually giving space for these women in his orbit to do the work and to thrive and succeed? Or how's, how's that looking early on? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, Harry, is too early for me to say. I think time will reveal all things with this particular administration. You know, in political science, we talk a lot about descriptive versus substantive representation. You know, do you have a woman just because she's a woman? Or substantively, does that person work towards, you know, a different set of ideals that could probably benefit from a particular, benefit a particular group? So we see that Adams is, you know, appointing lots of women, lots of women of color. We know de Blasio famously appointed really talented women and then ignored them. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be Adam's case because we know that Eric Adams is like, hey, listen, I hire smart people. You're over there doing your work because I'm over here doing what I do. <laughs> Whatever that is. Yeah. And then give it The day. word is, Sheena Wright's going to be uh, the new Frank Carone and uh, chief of staff. We, we will see. but we, we shall see how that shakes out. But I mean, I think that's a slightly less defined position, you mm-hmm. know, whereas like keep in mind, you know, a police commissioner or a fire commissioner these are paramilitary organizations. So there is kind of, you you kind of slide into uh, a, a slot, if you will, that that kind of already has an organizational skill. It's just the politics of how you report to the mayor and, and how you disseminate that information to, uh, to the people who are beneath you, obviously when they start negotiating contracts or, or whatever the financial entities may be. But I think the mayor thus far seems like, he's like, you do you. As long as you understand who is the captain of the ship, like, don't embarrass me, get your work done. And, like, that's a managerial style that a lot of folks aren't accustomed to. I mean, I felt like de Blasio was, like, low-key micromanager, but also not minding the store. You can't be both, right? So Adams is like, I might not be minding the store, but I trust the fact that, like, you're getting your work done. And when I check in to make sure, I need to make sure that, you know, you have you have sort of the receipts that I need. Because don't make me look like a fool. The, the one point I wanted to make, Harry and Chrissy, um, you know, I was at the ceremony on Thursday for, for Commissioner Kavanaugh, and she has been the acting interim, I forget what the exact title is, since Daniel Nigro, Nigro retired. And sh- since then, she's overseen um, the Twin Parks fire in the Bronx, a few line of duty deaths um, within the fire department and the EMT. And she was still just in this acting role. So I even asked the mayor yesterday, what was it? He was so certain about Commissioner Soule. He appointed her before he was even in office. Yet with this, and, and we saw as reporters, there were multiple interviews for this FDNY position because we foiled for Phil Banks' schedule and they were on it. Um, and, you know, I, it was just curious to me what took so long because whereas she was still doing the job as commissioner, I mean, it's my understanding that there were limitations to it because of this unofficial title, even with certain appointments and certain movements on hiring. And, you know, the mayor spoke very honestly about, um, he just didn't know the fire department as well as he knew policing or the NYPD. Obviously he was in the NYPD, he was a cop before going into politics. Um, But it also, a cynical way to look at it is, okay, so you didn't trust this woman for 10 months when she was doing this job. And I guess it almost seemed like a foregone conclusion that that you would then just say, oh yeah, it's her now. And he actually said after 10 months, well, you know, the house wasn't on fire. So I thought, 
this is the good position. So this is a good appointment to make. It felt, you know, both honest, right? No one wants to be lied to when you ask a question, but it also felt a little bit, I don't know, if you didn't trust her this whole time, what was this delay? So I, I thought that was a significant question to ask. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I know that, that some people were mad, you know, people always get mad if it's not a member of the fire department, but um, it's good to point out within the fire department, there's the 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 chief, the the uh, chief of the department who is the highest uniform ranking position. And we do have a history of appointing non firefighters to this role. But, you know, that was just the point I wanted to make. It seems like for all of his work appointing women to these positions, he did have to have the first female fire commissioner do it in an acting role for months before making it official. It is tricky in that commissioners are like the face of these departments, but they're front people in certain ways. And there are chiefs of department who are actually on top of the operation on a daily basis. And those jobs are separated for a reason. Shifting topics for a moment, we uh, finally had our one debate. Uh, as polls show, this race is getting very close. Democrats are quite nervous. Uh, Mark Levine, the Manhattan Borough president, and one of the handful of recognizable surrogates for the alleged Kathy Hochul campaign that has a ton of money, but like I don't see mailers or presence or anything else is like he had a wake up dems rally right and <laughs> it says a lot that that in this ostensibly very blue state and in this ostensibly very blue city that's supposed to counterbalance the rest of the state and more so that, that you're, you're doing that days before the start of early voting how did this race end up so close? And is there possibly, if Hochul hangs on and Democrats do take some hits, for instance, they lose their supermajority in the state Senate, does this maybe weirdly play in a big way to Eric Adams' advantage, who did not have a great first year in Albany? And the first year is usually when you have all the leverage. You've just been elected. You have a mandate. They're all running for office. And he got pushed around by his former colleagues on a number of things. Uh, potentially now there's a year two where Democrats survive, but are scared. Uh, the center of, uh, the political center has shifted and maybe they do go back and revisit, not bail reform, but criminal justice issues and, uh, public safety and those things. It's been the number one polling issue. He's still the main figure on stage. And he gets a second chance to make a first impression on where the power is, which is Albany. Or is that altogether too optimistic, uh, given the uncertainties and the circumstance? Um, I think it points. I know we're trying to Look, concisely I need, think about I, this. I need you to whittle down a question for me. Oh, what, well, what the fuck is going on? I guess that's a question. I think, look... Um, Governor Hochul's campaign, a lot of people have had questions about what is going on in that campaign. It's funny, um, thinking of Governor Phil Murphy from New Jersey, who narrowly, like almost lost in his race last year. I believe it's the same political consultants working on Kathy Hochul. Mm. So, you know, meteorologists and political consultants seem to be the only people who keep getting rewarded for um, getting things wrong or almost wrong. Um, that's a joke. I actually defend meteorologists a lot. Anyway. I think, you know, looking at, we for those of us who watched the first and only debate between Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul, um, whether or not you agree with Lee Zeldin's 
one note of crime, crime, crime. It's something that resonates with a lot of people around the state. I'm not saying it's based wholly in reality, but it's something that he has really hammered over and over and over again about crime, about safety. I saw his ads last night, just trying to watch a little SVU and I'm bombarded with Lee Zeldin ads where he's literally saying, vote as if your life depends on it because it does. Which again, some might find that message to be a little much, but other people might think, no, it is. There's crime. I'm scared. And this is who I want um, in power. And I think the two of them during the debate, I I think no one had any major flubs. Um, Nobody really dominated it, but his message kind of came through a little bit clearer than Kathy Hochul's. I think she's leaned a lot into the state's reproduction, reproductive rights. But again, looking at New York state as a whole, um, I don't think we're we're not like a lot of other states. We're not Arizona. We're not Indiana. It's a different kind of story. And while I think it's important to a lot of people, I think other people find crime, inflation, quality of life um, a little bit more important. But again, the wake up Dems rally that when someone's telling you to wake up, that's never a good sign. I also just think a few things. One, I have yet to receive a single piece of literature from the Hochul campaign. And I know that Hochul says, you know, I'm running this like an underdog. And, you know, she mm-hmm. was never elected as governor. So, you know, this is essentially her first race as governor as well. She's an incumbent, but doesn't have the, the full incumbency advantage. Um, I'm that type of voter where it's like, I'm a triple plus plus voter, right? I vote in everything, yeah. uh, every single primary, every single runoff. So I'm always just like, why do people send me literature? You know, I'm voting. But to not receive a single drop of literature, I'm like, yeah. hey, like, yeah, I am voting, but it is nice to to know that you know that I exist and that there is a race going on. So to talk to so many people who are like, yeah, you know, this is also a midterm. So we know that turnout is going to be low. It's a midterm. So it's New York. Turnout is always abysmal and embarrassing. And we're trending in the wrong direction as for people coming out. We know that the party that's not in power is more motivated during a midterm election to actually come out and try and take back power. All these things. And you have this race baiting Zeldin message of like, hide your kids, hide your wife, because this boogeyman of, you know, dot, 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 Blacks and Latinos and immigrants are going to come and get you. And they shot outside of my house, allegedly. I'm like, please give me the receipts on that one. But it's like, this is the message that Republicans are using all across the country. And somehow it's like resonating in New York, it seems, for a certain demographic. Because one, we have had 20 years of Republican mayors in this city. Like, let's not pretend that people don't know how to vote for Republicans. Um, two, yeah, Zeldin is no Pataki. But we're also, that's that Republican Party doesn't exist anymore. So there are folks who are just like, well, you know, I think we're fine on abortion. New York will always be okay. But crime is really worrying me. And like, I don't know, I have some job insecurity. And we know that voters go to the polls based on uh, their pocketbook issues. I think Kathy Hochul will be okay if she does some sort of last minute push and Democrats actually do think, hey, this guy gave a wishy-washy answer on Roe. He never gave any solutions on how he was actually going to stop crime or decrease crime. He just said, it's coming. It's here. It's like, okay, well, what are you going to do, friend? Doesn't matter. Everyone's coming to steal your wife. Um, and then, you know, his his job creation was essentially non-existent. Like, you know, obviously when he's not on the subway smelling marijuana, he's at a Bills game thinking that everything's just fine. So I think obviously turnout is going to be key in New York. But I do think that, you know, obviously crime is everywhere is something that does resonate with a particular increased number of 
voters, largely because the city, the perception of crime is real. The numbers don't necessarily support what Zeldin is screaming from the rooftops, but people do feel like the city's hot. They feel like the state and the country are on edge because we just got out of a global pandemic and folks are on edge financially, emotionally, and everything else. So he's riding on this perception of danger. And for some communities, there is danger, but he's, I think, exploiting it to an extent that it is real that certain communities are facing increased spikes in crime, but there's also the perception of crime. So Kathy Hochul is, on the one hand, she has to acknowledge that communities feel that crime is increasing. But on the other hand, she doesn't need to be histrionic for, for other communities where it's like the, the data says that the crime is trending down. So let's not be chicken littles about this and like let's contextualize it and then come up with solutions. I did not hear a single solution from Lou Zeldin during the debate. He was like, crime's everywhere. Everyone's coming to get your wife and kids. Okay, then tell me how you're going to fix it. Tell me how you're going to fix inflation and the economy that you keep talking about. Tell me how you have any solution besides ringing the alarm but he never got past that phase. By the by, this man looked like he ate 12 pounds of Halloween candy before he started that debate because I know that he was trying to squeeze in four debates in one, but I did not get the sense. And this is obviously people don't watch debates to change their minds and there were no major gaffes, but I did not get the sense that he gave the vibe of any sort of gubernatorial gravitas at all. I will say though, Kathy Hochul was trending during and after the debate. And it's because the Republican sort of spin machine was just, they were on it. They were very clear. It's like Lee Zeldin won the debate. He dominated Kathy Hochul. He was fantastic. And so I think it goes back to the earlier point of where is the Kathy Hochul campaign? If you have all these DC folks who were running it, where's where's the literature? Where are the ads? Where's the framing of her campaign to say, New York is by no means perfect, but we cannot have a dangerous election denier, January 6th supporting, equivocating, you know, abortion providing uh, governor as the head of New York State. I mean, I, I think that the fact that she hasn't been able to easily lay out like this man has absolutely no solutions except for just his dedication to Donald Trump is insanity to me. So I think it might be closer than a lot of Democrats would hope, but hopefully it will serve as a wake-up call for Democrats to actually run a real campaign in a in a state that's actually red as hell um, in a lot of places. So one, one of Kathy Ogle's problems is that uh, Carl Hastie, who was the leader of the Assembly, Speaker, he feels very strongly about bail reform, that uh, cash bail is immoral. As it happens, I agree. But Hogel is trying to, with this Rose Garden stuff, with this non-existent campaign, talk around this whole set of issues at least through November and then deal with things. Um, as I was saying earlier, like Adams is sort of hoping the, the, the makeup of the legislature is going to change. And that's going to be advantageous for him in trying to push some of this through. But polling shows in New York City, across the state, and before Fox started their late season crime push, in which this has become the only narrative, like Ebola was a gigantic story through that year's midterms, and then just stopped being a story as soon as those were done. Um, Hochul is not, she doesn't sound coherent. So what Zeldin is saying is nonsense. Cash bail is not the start of this. Firing Alvin Bragg, who was just elected is not going to uh, make Manhattan or New York or anywhere safer. Just 
It's absurd. Um, but there is a, a coherence to saying voters have this concern. I want to do something about it. He's not the incumbent. There are no Republicans in power. And this is basically a referendum on Hochul. And as you're saying, she's not responding to Zeldin. She's trying in a lot of ways not to acknowledge him. So this is about her. And what she's saying, just sentence to sentence and paragraph to paragraph, is incoherent. It's hard to take seriously. She has a basically non-campaign where what's there has been all about abortion. And suddenly she's talking about public safety. And I am a nervous about and really interested to see how this election goes i also think she'll hold on that this will be a scare uh but democrats should have been ready for a scare after last year when all their ballot measures failed here when governor murphy almost lost as, as katie mentioned and the extent to which she seemed to just be cruising on on money and position you know doesn't speak well of the existing democratic establishment and it's it's sense of we're good enough and the only benefit is these Republicans are crazy that, that he's not Pataki. You know, he is um, he, he, he hardly acknowledged the results of the 2020 election. Been sympathetic to the January 6th people. I said, I won't change abortion, but it's not because I wouldn't want to. Right. You know, like like that, 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 that is what Hochul's up against. And that may be just enough to see her through. Uh, but I don't think there's a lot of happiness about the, uh, the the establishment and the powers that be right now in what, what has many red elements, but is, politically speaking, a very blue state that has not elected a new Republican statewide this century. Yeah, I think you're right, Harry, about just taking that all for granted. And you can't just look at who's registered because there's plenty of Democrats who are not going to vote for Kathy Hochul. Um, so, yeah, we'll see early voting starts Saturday. Uh, it runs till the Sunday before election day. Yep. And they then Monday's Monday off. off. And then Tuesday yeah. you can you can vote on election day. But nobody's actually, I think the early <laughs> voting is really cool. Like not many people are using it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, also, you know, it's a little confusing because my early voting site is not my polling site. So yeah. you have to pay attention. There has to be a certain level of education that we have to give the voters. So there I go to one place if I decide to go early, but I have to go to a totally different place if I decide to vote on election day which I very rarely do. I take advantage of early voting because I'm usually busy on election day. But, you know, I don't really know how many New Yorkers even know a race is going on. I mean, I will say this. It's fairly cute. I had a student who stopped me after class and said, hey, Professor Greer, I kind of felt like when I was watching the debate, it was just the two of us watching it. Oh, <laughs> that's very and I said, I was like, you know what? I said, I do know for a fact that my podcast co-host was there because I saw her tweet about um, going with Zeldin on the subway. And I was like, and there were two other people that I did a podcast with, uh, Ben Max. And I said, so at least it was five of us together. I was like, I didn't check in with Harry, but maybe six? I'm not exactly sure. But I mean, I think also, you know, this is where my point about Twitter is really important because for most people who didn't tune into the debate, if you saw that Kathy Hoka was trending, it essentially was just like she was a disaster and there's yeah. no way that she could continue being governor of New York. I, and I'll say on the record, I rode the subway with Lee Zeldin and there was no pot smell. He said there was pot smell. Yeah, and the only reason I noticed thing. it because there usually is a pot smell. Right. right. So I was shocked that there wasn't. But that goes with the fear mongering, right? It's like, right. oh, there's drugs everywhere and marijuana is a gateway drug to, you know, your children being on the pole. It's legal. It's like, settle down, sir. I mean, he's he's one of the, he's just that guy. Right. Where it's just like you're really dangerous, but because you don't look like a DeSantis or an Abbott, 
people don't think that he's as dangerous as he is. He's got the Yunkin effect. <laughs> it's exactly that. Uh, uh, it's the soothing affect with it. Um, uh, Annie Nascenti, we had on the pod, said something in passing that really stood out to me. Um, she she is now upstate much of the time, and she says her neighbors there, they're voting for Zeldin because they know that Hochul wants to uh, take non-vaccinated New Yorkers and put them in quarantine camps. Now, just to be clear, that is argle bargle crazy person uh, nonsense, you know, uh, get your tinfoil hat. But there's more and more tinfoil hattery in the resistance to the Democratic establishment, especially, I think, outside of the city and in some pockets of it. And then if you combine that with, with, with a sort of more normative frustration with the existing Democrats, and if you look at the Times endorsement of Hochul's or even the Times unions to some extent, and they've done some, some really strong reporting, these are like really resigned endorsements. And then you have the Post that's absolutely all in, beating the drum six times a day. Uh, for for Zeldin, Fox News, with its, you know, uh, New York is a, is a terrifying hellhole stuff. It's fascinating how one party has become really fixated on, on, uh, on, on attacking the establishment here, and the establishment barely seems interested in defending itself. There's an imbalance, and, and in this, you know, quote-unquote, blue state that, that, is, that is worrisome. Well, I think Democrats consistently underestimate the number of tinfoil hats out there and, and how people are really resonating with uh, messages that make absolutely no sense. I mean, you know, if you really sat down and kind of thought about it, but, you know, if you repeat it enough, obviously, you know, folks are going to believe it. And so we have not just Republicans. I mean, listen, the the inmates have taken over the asylum in the Republican Party. Uh, but now you have moderates and weak-leaning Democrats who are falling suit too. And if you don't have a real campaign, then that's what happens. And people run away with narratives that just, you know, any common sense person knows that they're not true, yet and still here we are. Yeah, and a lot of those um, completely false information rumors and conspiracy theories, they spread so quickly they spread like a variant <laughs> during COVID. Uh, you know, they, I would see it, just one person would put on Facebook and then there would be 150 comments and it would be, you know, especially that camp one, which was based off a, a bull. It, it was a very complicated um, root of it, but the whole, you're going to put unvaccinated people away. I saw that spread on my Google Facebook feed so quickly. And I think it was a combination of, you know, I think obviously there's a lot of roots to misinformation and these sort of right-wing conspiracy theories, but COVID certainly added fuel to it. And people's memory of COVID is not thousands and thousands of people died. It was my rights were taken away, which again, if I could go to Target and a garden store on the worst day of COVID's peak in Queens, my rights were not taken away. And that is in fact what I did on April 7th, 2020. So again, a lot of this stuff, the memory of it, even though it wasn't too long ago, is that our fundamental rights were taken away and and Kathy Hochul was lieutenant governor when when these things happened. So we have to stop it. Just to bring this all full circle, this is going to be an issue for uh, Kavanaugh going forward, potentially, with uh, firefighters who were not vaccinated, lost their jobs, including one who's married to a school teacher who also lost her job. And with court rulings that are now being appealed, saying all of these people need to be reinstated, which would also be if that holds up, which I'm not assuming, 
incredibly uh, expensive and difficult. And back to Kathy Hochul, a reminder for her ASAP, assuming she's still around next year, that we are owed uh, the report that she promised was coming. And like many things has not appeared in this, that might be inconvenient, has not appeared in this campaign cycle about what happened with New York and COVID and nursing homes under the watch of Andrew Cuomo. And after promising that would be there and would be transparent is yet to be seen. I, for one, am very interested in seeing that. F-A-Q. This has been FAQ NYC. We're a part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash donate if you'd like to pitch in. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and are a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. Our hosts this episode were Christina Greer, Katie Honan, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. I'm our engineer, Adam Kimera. Thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.